0: Welcome to the Healthy Beast. We're going to be talking about food and exercise with Professor Harry Weisinger, Dr. Harry. Um, he's a university professor who lectures on nutrition and neural development. He's published... Scientific papers on exactly what food does to the body. He's also a family doctor who's a keen sportsman and's got himself a reputation as a go-to doctor for sports mad Australians who don't want to just stop doing the sports they love, which is often what doctors tell you. That's the kind of doctor you are, Harry. Not just stop doing this, but get on with it. Right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, from my own personal experience. Right. So, um, what choice do we have but to push through? So that's certainly the type of medicine I would promote. Is um, Never too old to exercise, and there's always something you can do. I look after a range of people and some are athletes and others are not and um, by and large, the people that I look after are continuously interested in their health but have periods where they're you know just loosening off a little bit in in Australia, the experience here where I live in Melbourne was of a pretty hard lockdown, and I know you guys are going through something. You know, reasonably similar now, but ours was ours was so intense in here in Melbourne that we couldn't, for instance, go further than five kilometres from our house, and there was a curfew, so which was just you know bizarre for someone living here, especially in spring and the weather starting to warm up. Yeah, I mean it, it was difficult, and when we finally got uh, the chance to to get outside, people obviously have gone to restaurants, bars and bars, and also exercising a bit more as well
0: did they enforce the lockdown?
1: They did. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was policed and state of emergency and a state of disaster. And police were given you know, special powers and fining people that were further than five kilometres from the house or out without a mask. I mean, it was pretty intense, Rich. It's still, I'm still feeling the effects personally, myself. I'm happy to admit that uh, it was really hard. And I know it was hard for a lot of people.
0: Do you think as a professional, do you think you've you've learned anything about how we look after ourselves this year? do you think the lockdown has
1: taught you anything useful it's a good question I think you know i i don't know if it's taught me much professionally, although maybe if I reflect it will but it's it, it's taught me that you know mental health uh, can be pretty fragile based on circumstances and you know, again, I'm I'm speaking from experience. I found it really hard because whilst I was still working and and working really hard as well, I was quite isolated in that I was at home, my wife was at work. Uh, she's an optometrist, so their their clinic stayed open, and you know the kids were you know variably at school or not. But it was quite isolating, and I and you know I have taken good mental health for granted, but. I did start to understand the impact of some of these things, some of these sort of losses of certain freedoms that we're accustomed to. But I can only imagine what it would have been like for people that had lost their jobs uh, or had no you know, reasonable income, had payments to make uh, and, and so forth. So I think that's, that's my reflection of it now.
0: Do you think, do you think you'd um, considered mental health as much? before this year was it something you always when you were taking care of your physical health was it something you were aware of or was it just something for other people
1: yeah well so i've never really i've never really suffered mental health issues other than you know getting down every now and then which everyone experiences certainly as a family doctor I looked after hundreds of people with mental health issues and i've seen the most extreme cases you know the people that are in hospital uh, with with these problems uh, but i guess it's you know we're all we're all somewhere on that spectrum no one is immune from from mental health problems because i guess if things just get hard enough uh it it can really test you so that's 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 what i think rich i mean i think yeah. you're right
0: you said it was cuz you said it was was fragile and I think it's a, very, it's a very good point because I think even though we, we talk far more about these things than we used to, I, th- I think still a lot of people have this idea that, that mental health problems, that they won't affect me, You know that there that they're, that is something that affects other people. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and as you say, it's fragile. It, does, it, it doesn't take many things to go wrong in a person's life as you say, those those vital things you need, like somewhere safe to live, an income, a purpose, um, love around you, if, if if those things disappear, as you say, everyone's mental health is fragile.
1: Yeah, I, I, Rich, I thought it was the rate of change, you know, as well, because I think people are very adaptable, you know, so we can adapt to certain things, but it was just the, the velocity that we lost, uh, you know, normal life. You know, you go from travelling for work and... Gainfully employed and going to the football, going to the cricket, and you know, going to the cafe down the road for breakfast or something like that, hanging out in the park with your with your kids. And the next thing, you know, we're cooped up, and you know, it was totally different. I think it was the rate at which it changed, and it literally was over the course of weeks uh, that we that we went from fully normal to fully abnormal. And and Rich, the other thing. The other thing I guess I want to say is that, you know, the def- the definition really of, of a mental health problem is one in which function is affected because we, we all get down and we all get, you know, so- somewhat excited, you know, head- heading towards, you know, manic at times. But it's when it affects your performance in social settings and work settings that it becomes... You know, more of a of a problem and a and a diagnosable condition, and and so though I've though I've sort of indicated to you that you know I've been mentally unwell in some way, I, I've kept functional, but just not as just not as sharp as as I'm accustomed to being. Uh, you know, I find I, I stare at my computer screen just a bit longer than what I'm what I'm used to. To get things done, and I'm—I'm I'm certain people can relate to this. I, Rich, I really hope I'm not the only one that feels like this.
0: No, Harry, I'm sure so, I'm sure you're not. And I, but I think that, that that definition you've given is a is a useful one. I think to say that um you know they, they become, it becomes a definable mental health problem when your when your function is affected. When, oh, it, totally. when it stops you doing things. It's useful because I think as you say, everyone will have will have felt. You know, some sort highs of, and lows. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. Exactly. But the but the crucial thing is, are you able to keep keep functioning? Are you able to keep doing what you're what you need to do on a most basic level? You know, getting out of bed, washing mm. yourself, mm. this kind of thing. Because it's when it's when those things go that that's when someone is you know it's diagnosable and it, you know they need clinical intervention. I suppose that's what you're saying.
1: Precisely. Precisely. And it's interesting. You know, the I guess the topic we're we're thinking about is. You know, food and exercise, and those two things really are really are critical. uh, I guess interventions, but things people can do to to stay on a more even keel, even when things are challenging. Because let's just say this: whatever whatever the challenges are at the time, as stressful as things can be. When we don't eat properly or exercise, it's worse. It actually makes it much worse. And conversely, there's been tons of research that shows that certainly exercise is as good a therapy for things like anxiety and depression as any medication. So, you know, certainly this this has been a focus. And, And whilst I was struggling along, I was certainly, you know, helping helping my patients to stay on top of the situation uh you know through diet and exercise.
0: Is this sometimes a problem for you as a doctor? I was just writing down a thing you said, because you said um exercise is as good a therapy as any medication. For you as a doctor, is this sometimes a problem if someone comes to you and they, you know, they know you're a doctor and that you have access to drugs. So and we've all got the internet, so you probably know the kind of drugs that you might be given. Is it sometimes a problem that they want you to, to do the doctor thing of giving them drugs and you're telling them to go for a bike ride? Does this ever create tensions?
1: Historically, not really. Um, uh, that's, not, that's not been my experience. It's a good question, but it's not my experience. And certainly, uh, th- you know, this year I've, is the first year I've stopped seeing patients in general practice and chosen to concentrate more on my uh, wellness uh, weight loss and high performance clinic. So I'm I'm now really only looking after people that fully understand the you know the modality of exercise as a tool uh, for for improved health and longevity. Um, so it's I'm less exposed, Rich, than than I was you know this time last year to. To those sort of you know requests of patients,
0: so I'm, t- I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying it. But are you are you seeing a, a more high performance type of patient now?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what is the polite way to say? I think <laughs> I think uh, I think, Rich, it's not it's not a more high performance patient. It's it's a patient that is in most ways generally well and looking to be more well. Uh, and, you know, lose a few kilograms, uh, do what they can to live longer. So by and large, these people are, um, you, know, pr- you know, privileged in a way that they have good health to begin with or reasonably good health. That's not all of my patients. I do see patients that that heading down a path of disaster, uh, with conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure. Uh, but it's less of what I see nowadays.
0: Okay, so, so it's more that the, the, the your patients will tend to be more already engaged and thinking about what they can do rather than thinking you're going to wave a magic wand. And... I,
1: I think so. I, I think, you know, diet is a really tricky one. Obviously, it's probably the most contentious topic among humans you know, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, and so on and so forth. But uh, there's so much bad information that people really find it hard to do what's best for for their health. And you, you think about it, Rich, the number of people that are overweight and obese, the number of people that have conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, fatty liver disease, these things are rampant. And mostly, in my view, it is because of poor information, poor education. And the classic, the classic, and you, you know about this, that, that the so-called healthy food pyramid, which, you know, has, look, look it up on the internet, you'll find this triangle with a base of starchy carbohydrate, grains, cereals, and so forth, then a middle band of pro- dairy and protein, and then a tiny little top section of of so-called healthy fats. And it's this idea that this is the proportion that we should be eating these types of foods that has driven the prevalence of chronic disease like cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's and arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease and so forth through the roof. The so-called healthy food pyramid is about the least healthy and yet, and yet, it's what most people eat. Because that's what we were taught. I mean, I was taught this in medical school and that wasn't that long ago. And obviously, if you go shopping in a supermarket, what you'll see is exactly that proportion. You'll see mostly grains and cereals and starchy carbohydrate, a little bit of protein and and less fat. And they're still advertising... 99% fat-free, at least in this country they are, and I assume they are over there too.
0: I think I'm right. Last time I checked, I think even if you go on the NHS website, so the official government advice, they still have the food pyramid or something, or they certainly have a version of it on there, which is, yeah, it's telling you to... most Most of your diet should be pasta and potatoes avoiding uh, avoiding all that that nasty fat and protein it's a weird one really isn't it because you do still sit you still hear people talking about wanting things that are low fat because that'll be good for you
1: oh that's right the, the classic is the you know the skinny the skinny cafe latte from the cafe you know which is a which is skim milk in coffee and skim milk has virtually no redeeming features whatsoever apart from the fact that it makes the coffee taste a bit better but from a nutritional point of view it's had all the goodness extracted this is i mean this is what they fed to the pigs and now they're now they're feeding it to us in in skinny lattes. People think they're doing themselves a favour removing the best part of the milk and just eating the lactose, which is sugar. That's just again, Rich, misinformation, bad information is costing people health.
0: Harry, do you find it difficult to keep yourself quiet in social situations? You know, if you're talking about these stuff with friends, do you find yourself uh, people still have these misunderstandings? Do you have to correct
1: them? So, with, without mean to get a bit controversial on your podcast, Rich. This is a bit like this is a bit like trying to explain to someone that Trump is unqualified to be president, uh, which happens to be my view to someone that believes that he is a great president. (laughs) He
0: believes he's just won by a landslide as well. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what, I, what i'm saying is it, you tell a person that's been ordering skinny lattes for 10 years that they're bad for him uh it's probably going to have the same effect as telling a trump supporter that that he's a bit of a dickhead and and better off you know out in the private sector you know ruining whoever else's life he can
0: yeah no you know the the my profession gets a bit of blame for this as well because whenever you talk about any food stuff people go oh well There'll be a story about this is bad for you next week and then the week after that. Because the fact that that, um, nutritional advice has changed, people use as a reason to not believe anything. I think well, you could, you could, really, you could, or you could relate that to the the, the Trump world as well, because it's like, well, okay, if if you are going to tell me this thing one week and this another thing another week, I'll, I won't believe anything, or I just I'll just do exactly what I want to do and believe what I want to believe, and and it's a it's a way of just rejecting all the information that comes to you,
1: and that's and that's the information crisis that we're in now. We could, Rich, I could bang on for hours about you know information um i guess warfare disinformation misinformation all that but you know as it pertains to as it pertains to health and nutrition it's you know it probably stems back to to the the self-interest of certain you know producers uh you know sugar industry and grain industry and and dairy industry and so forth uh but those that Bad information is propagated very effectively, as you know. And so, yeah, I I, do. I struggle. Um, I used to struggle to keep my mouth shut, and well, now I get to talk on podcasts, so it's a lot more effective. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's a good. um... Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you some specifics because we're appearing tomorrow on this uh, this panel, this food industry panel. It's called Food Tech Futures, Mm. and they're talking about you know ways that we can get the holy grail of snacks where they're. They 're as delicious as junk food, but they have all the nutrients of health food. This is the, the holy holy grail they talk about and I, I mentioned to them how with snack food particularly it 's very easy to get carbohydrate you know, there's no problem in any, in any shop. you can buy as much no. cheap, cheap carbohydrate as you want. Getting protein on the other hand is is quite difficult. you know if, if you don 't like nuts, protein protein rich snack food can be quite hard. And they sort, of, they sort of turned on me a little bit, this group of people, when we were having our preparatory talk, <laughs> as if to say that this, the, the need for protein has been overstated. My question to you was, I think people, a lot of people like me will do the same thing. They'll, they'll, they'll look around for healthy food they can get and protein will be an important thing. But is that fair? Do you think has it been, has its importance been overstated?
1: Really good question, Rich, and a really complicated answer but I'll, I'll do my best. The the short answer is it depends, right? And what it depends on is what you're trying to achieve with your nutrition. So I, I happen to hold the view that if we, if we're not deliberate about our nutritional choices, it's, we're basically at the mercy of our hunger, which is a very primitive drive and what is put in front of us. And you know what's put in front of you. As you've just said, there's no shortage of cheap, nasty carbohydrate and a real paucity of other good stuff. So we, we definitely need to be deliberate about nutrition. And then the question is, what are we trying to achieve in our nutritional intake? Now, as I said, you can be um, completely random about how you eat. And, and we know what that results in. But you may also choose to design or plan your nutritional intake to achieve longevity, you know, to live longer. Or you may plan your nutrition to race faster as a runner or a cyclist. Or you may choose nutrition to, you know, build build your body in the gym, get bigger and stronger. So the importance of protein is very much uh, like the importance of the other macronutrients is very much tied to what outcome you seek now in the i'm really fascinated about longevity and what what it is that we can do to live longer and obviously you can't choose your genes but you can choose lifestyle things and one of the main things we can choose is what we put in our bodies obviously so that's you know food and other substances but concentrating on food what we know what we know is that the body seems to uh, live longer when we put it into difficulty. And by that, I mean, um, with respect to food intake, eating just enough to get what you need, but no more than that. So just enough to to survive even. Now, it's going to sound a bit extreme, but the the studies um, that have been done in, in nutrition longevity categorically show that calorie restriction is an effective strategy to live longer, certainly in animals, and it looks that way in humans as well. And then you've got things like protein, which, you know, for the average person, between one and two grams of protein per day per kilogram of body weight is a, is a you know, reasonable amount. But if you have slightly under that, you you switch on various um, gene genes in the body, which are all designed to help us survive and live longer. And then if you look at, you know, someone that's trying to perform at a high level, you know, I was talking about carbohydrate, like they were, you know, really dirty substances. But for someone trying to perform at top end, you know, aerobic and anaerobic um, activity, like a cyclist, and and I do see a lot of cyclists in my my clinic, uh, you need... You need certain macronutrients to perform at the highest level. So you can't perform at the highest level, for instance, on a ketogenic diet, which just has a very low amount of carbohydrate. You really do need to supplement with that. Um, so that's my long-winded answer, Rich. I hope that explains. So it,
0: so it depends. It depends what you're trying to do, basically.
1: And, and the and the key the key point, like if I had to make one point, it's that you you want to decide what you're trying to do with your nutrition are you trying to lose weight are you trying to live longer you're trying to you trying to get ready for the olympics because that determines what you eat and and you there's no one diet or nutritional approach that satisfies across the board certainly there are some that are better all-rounders like a a low carbohydrate diet is is a good all-rounder and if you then top up the amount of carbohydrate you eat for specific events and specific training sessions uh, then you can get a very good outcome
0: how long ago did you get into the idea of fasting
1: hmm I think it's probably been on my mind for several years but if I'm perfectly honest um, I've only really taken it seriously this year so I, I've experimented with diets for 15 years I would say yeah uh, you know, I'm I, I I treat my body a bit like a test tube. And I've tried virtually every, every dietary trend that's got any sort of uh, reputable science behind it anyway. And when I started to understand the importance of autophagy, which we can talk about, um, in longevity, then I started taking fasting very seriously. And my, my wife and I sort of, started to fast you know, virtually every day for some length of time, usually 16 hours, and then once a week we'd have a, a longer fast, up to 36, 48 hours. And, again, this is, this is sort of coming back to that concept I mentioned before about sort of putting your body into some sort of difficulty where it has to switch on survival genes, which basically start recycling all the, all the junk DNA and cellular material that's been accumulating and and that all gets sort of recycled, and and there you go. There's your risk of cancer and and other me- and metabolic conditions all reduced just by the act of of fasting. And you can get you can get similar. Um, I know a bit off topic, Rich, but you can get similar benefits uh, through autophagy through exercise. Oh yeah, that was.
0: What I've, re- I've written the word down: autophagy, and I want I want you to explain. Yeah. Um, because other than other than um, thinking it was pronounced autophagy or something different how you said it i think we need to explain well, i would
1: i would uh, yeah i would respond to both if you called me <laughs> autophagy or autophagy but <laughs> yeah. obviously obviously it's a it's a you know greek derivative you know self eating yeah uh, and and that's exactly i mean that's what it is really so when when your body when your body is in Uh, times of plenty it has certain nutrient sensing molecules that switch on you know growth factors and you start to build so you build muscle you build bone you build amino acids you build dna etc and conversely in times of difficulty and that can be nutritional it can be exercise it can be hypoxia it can be heat it can be cold when your body's in times of difficulty, it switches on the opposite direction, which is to is to start recycling uh, material. So it's not it 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 thinks I need to batten down the hatches here. I'm I'm not going to grow. I'm going into autophagy mode. I'm going to start digesting all the shitty cellular material that was going to go on and cause cancer anyway, uh, and chew it up and use it for as the building blocks for cell growth and metabolism down the track.
0: So this process, this process has been known about for a long time, right? But presumably at some point we thought it was damaging, whereas now we've realized that it can be very helpful. Is that is that how the history of it went? That they, they thought, you know, your body starts eating itself, better figure uh, it quick.
1: Exactly, exactly right. This process has been known about for a while, but its importance in its importance and the understanding of its importance in longevity has only recently been appreciated. And now there are obviously lots of scientists and lots of drug companies trying to figure out how to hack this pathway. So how can we trigger autophagy with a pill, right? Because, you know, fasting is too hard for most people, but taking a pill is possible. And, of course, there are drugs there are drugs that inhibit the, the pathway op, that switches on growth, which is to say uh, triggers autophagy.
0: It's, it's quite an amazing indictment of, of um, where, where we've arrived with ourselves, that we're, we're trying desperately to invent a thing that you put in your body that would replicate not putting anything in your body.
1: <laughs> it's a, that's right that's exactly yeah, I mean, I've got a, a really funny way to put it yeah I've got a solution just don't put anything in your book <laughs> there you go well you, you, know, you know what it's, it's, so, it's, it's so interesting because you know what, what is the prescription for well-being and longevity it's you know don't, don't eat too much um, watch what you eat exercise make sure you get good sleep you know don't don't you know try not to have too many drugs and alcohol um you know it's it's not rocket science but it is bloody hard to do isn't it um you know to do all those things because we often have really powerful innate you know drives that push us the other way so hunger is a classic uh so i spend i you know hunger can can unravel the best diet in the world, obviously, and the best nutritional plan in the world can go out the window when someone gets hungry. So I spend a lot of my time educating people and teaching them how to – hack is not the right word – but how to eat in a certain way and certain foods that eventually lead to you being less hungry with with that superpower – you know, the superpower of not feeling hungry all the time. You can then choose what you eat, when you eat, and whether you're gonna eat at all. Without that without that superpower, people find it extremely hard to eat properly and to lose weight. And and so this is why I have a job bridge.
0: Yeah, but is that is the, are you having to deal with that um, psychological side quite a lot of, of them not knowing how to not do something, not knowing how to stop themselves?
1: Oh, completely. No, this is as I said, this is a case of this is a case of bad informa- too much bad information, and very powerful marketing forces. Um, you know, sort of pushing the wrong side of things. But you know, in my in my role as a doctor. Um, what I do is I educate people about metabolic pathways and and the ways that they can modify their metabolism by eating differently and then starting to explore things like intermittent fasting, longer fasting um, you know the ketogenic diet, and so forth
0: because really for me it 's been a I um, learned about fasting a few years back. There's a guy here, Dr. Michael Mosley, who popularized it a lot in this country, and it became a massive thing, like the 5 mm. and the Fast 800 and stuff. But what, what you said about it being a superpower, I think is it's interesting because it's almost like you don't know how much control you've got over it. And once you've broken free of needing to, you know, needing to eat as soon as you get out of bed, because it's just what you do and it's what you feel you need. Once you've broken free from that and you can, you can choose, you can look at foods and think, well, what I do sometimes is quite useful, is I look at foods and I think, well, why am I eating this? And it, and sometimes it seems like a, a stupid question because, you know, you eat things, you just do. And then you think, well, I'm eating it for fun. Am I eating it because my body needs it? And if you ask yourself that question, you can make a more rational choice. And if it's a chocolate bar, you can't really say your body needs it. You just It's just for fun. And if that's in that, Relatively small percentage of unhealthy food, then so be it. But yeah, just putting that question to yourself: what am I eating this for? Is a useful one for me.
1: I think it's. I think it's really useful. And and if you're honest, if if you're honest, I would venture to say that most of the time you couldn't answer the question because it's a subconscious drive. And and genetically speaking, we are programmed to eat when food is available.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, you know, it's, all, it's all very well for me to make light of, you know, just stop putting something in your body. But, you know, these are, these are p- p- urges so powerful that people will kill for them. You know, people, it's, it's, precisely. it's a fight for survival. So you precisely.
1: Can't,
0: you can't just click your fingers and say, stop that powerful urge that you would kill for, can you? It's not as simple as that.
1: Well, well, that's, well that's, that's precisely right. I mean, that, as I say, it's the, most, it's the most powerful drive that we ever experience. And if you wanna if you wanna test it out, Rich, you just imagine being hungry, horny, and tired, and check out what order you think you'll do things. And I'm willing I'm willing to bet you're gonna eat, <laughs> then you're gonna go to sleep, <laughs> and then in the morning you'll see if you can get lucky. But, um, no, no, that's uh, you know hunger is massively powerful, and it's because of it's because this drive evolved that we are here right it's our ancestors had the drive so they were able to survive right but we are not in that time We're, we're in a time where there's you know manufactured food in such quantities that the the real problem is not eating that's the that's the that's the challenge
0: because if i remember rightly these they they found these things out by mistake uh, to a large extent i think they had you know sort of famines in in various us towns and suddenly they found that people were living longer and they didn't know why so there've been various ways they found it out by mistake but this idea that that putting your body into difficulty is good for it you can i guess you can expand beyond beyond diet in in the into exercise but also into into your psychology as well because you know difficulty in terms of your of the challenges you face in life are good for you as well you know you don't want a life where you wouldn't you don't want a job where everything is simple and easy all day because it gets very boring so it seems like physically and psychologically we benefit from being kind of things being difficult for us things being slightly out of reach just keeping us on our toes i suppose
1: no it's a it's a it's a great topic isn't it because you know as parents you know, as parents, we we've we've got that really difficult choice in many cases about whether to whether to give our kids you know what they want, right? Because you, what you want is your your child to have the drive to go out and get it, because otherwise, a brutal it's going to be a brutal experience if they get out into the world and and think that they'll get everything they want just straight off without any effort. And so how do you train grit and, and motivation? Uh, You know, the, the sort of, the proven way is is to deprive them of what they want, which is the, I mean, sure. This is probably the hardest thing for a parent to do is when their kid says, can I have this to say no. Um, But, you know, I guess, I guess this is something we all have to face as yeah. parents.
0: You know what? You know, the, the thing that's useful with kids for me has been video games because it's been because I've seen my kids are ten and seven now, so they've they've been introduced mm. to video games, and I and I've I've been able to say to them, "Look, I can see that if I let you play this video game, you will play it forever." You know. <laughs> you'll just you'll never stop and I said I don't have all the answers as a parent but I do know that that's not good for you so (laughs) you know everyone knows that at a certain point video games become bad for you so that's that's sort of been a way into the conversation of saying that like you know you have to limit things you know I think my job as a parent is to limit things even if I don't want to and yeah it's always easier to go oh go on then dad can I carry on playing this the easiest thing is always, yeah, yeah, go on there, go on there. But you do have to, you do have to say no at a certain point. kids. only as much as, as you say, the the, the the easiest thing is just to let them have what they want.
1: Yeah. I think, I think, you know, when we know something is, I think when we know something is harmful, you know, it's our job as parents to, to, to steer them away. You know, we know from, from research that, the later, you know, a, a, a child gets exposed to things like cigarettes and alcohol and drugs, the, the better the outcome is likely to be in their lives. So it's our job to try to prevent them, you know, experiencing those things too early. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and then there's other things that we just believe to be bad for you. Um, but don't quite know yet but it's a parent's hunch and you know as I say to my kids while you're living under my roof and you know what that was what my parents told me and probably what their parents told them so
0: it's awful when you realize your parents were talking sense you know it's a terrible realization and
1: you hear yourself (laughs) saying things they used to say yeah exactly exactly right my parents used to say you know what you know what What we want for you, Harry? We want when you get older, you have children just like you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, can I ask you another a nutrition yeah. question, right? Because you, you have to declare an interest because you have a supplement company that Truth Naturals and Truth Origins are making CBD and various supplements that you can tell me about. You know, you have supplied CBD and supplements to the Healthy Beast podcast and I think they're, they're great. I found CBD very useful. And I wanted to particularly ask you about curcumin because this is one that I've been taking because it's supposed to be good with inflammation, and it's another one of these mm. fashionable ones that you suddenly hear turmeric everywhere. But what what, what is exactly is it doing for inflammation? Because when you're taking things as an individual, it's very it's very hard to mm. very hard to judge because you know you do a load of things at the same time. You know you do exercise, you do you eat better, you sleep better, and you take supplements. It's it's very difficult to to know what's working, but the the results have felt good, so I, maybe you can tell me what it what mm. the, it is supposed to do be doing to the body.
1: You know, I first became aware of vaguely aware of the spice turmeric, and then you started to see turmeric lattes uh, popping up at the trendy cafes. That that was sort of my my first awareness, really, of turmeric. And and as it turns out, turmeric, which is I guess like a root vegetable, uh. Has a um, compound contained in it called curcumin, which is what you've asked about, and certainly what our company Truth Origins have as the as the main active um, compound in a couple of our products. But curcumin, it's a it's a polyphenol. It's a type of it's just a biochemical structure. It's very common in in plants uh, that possesses anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer properties. Now I, I don't say this lightly and notably the name of our company is Truth, and that's because uh, we made a commitment to only bring to market products that had enough scientific literature behind them to substantiate our claims. And curcumin is something that's been studied in you know on the order of You know, twenty thousand publications, most of which are in the last of five to ten years. So this is a heavily studied compound, and it's it's known to um it's known to block various. You know, inflammation is a very complex process. It's a it's an important it's an essential process in life. We cannot live without inflammation because it's basically how we defend ourselves against injury and invasion is we create this this inflammatory response which brings, um, you know, cells and immune, uh, you know, components to the site of injury or invasion. But, of course, when inflammation gets out of balance, we get all these undesirable conditions like Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease and Crohn's disease and arthritis and endometriosis etc so it's undesirable when it's in the wrong place at the wrong time and in the wrong amount and and as i said it's really complicated you know there are hundreds of pathways that control how the body regulates inflammation and curcumin interferes with a good number of these to the extent that in both in in vitro So in test tube type environments and in animal studies and now in human studies, it's shown to reduce inflammation and the sequelae of inflammation, which are generally pain and swelling. So it's a, it's a very active compound. The other property I mentioned, and you know, we're we're sort of restricted from writing about this on, on our website or in any advertising, but quite frankly, Curcumin kills cancer cells, particular cancer cell lines, including breast cancer. And this is well-known in the literature, and it's the reason that many drug companies are evaluating the role of curcumin as an adjuvant agent in chemotherapy. So this is significant. Um, I take curcumin every day, have been since we started making it. And I think, Rich, if I'm honest, you know, it ain't Nurofen, all right? It's, Nurofen is a lot less subtle as an anti-inflammatory. It's got a, you know, a very well-known, um, you know, side of, of action and it's very good at controlling acute inflammation. And you, if you've got, you know, a sore elbow, you can take some Nurofen and you will know what it's doing straight away. Curcumin is definitely more subtle. And I will say as a, as a cyclist, a competitive cyclist, and someone that basically lived on Nurofen, because my legs were always sore. It's just most cyclists' legs are always sore because you're pedaling hard a lot. And since I started taking curcumin, I just don't take Nurofen. Like it's, it is remarkable. I don't have back pain Uh, I don't have joint pain. And these are things that I've had in the past, as well as having Crohn's disease myself, inflammatory bowel disease. And I get extra um, intestinal um, sequelae, including joint pain and so forth. Again, I don't get these things with when I'm taking curcumin. So I think um, we're going to come to know a lot more about curcumin in the near future but it's certainly an effective, natural anti-inflammatory, um, and I'm really optimistic about its role, more so in cancer prevention. But but certainly we will see it um, evaluated and probably used uh, in treatment as well, at least as a adjuvant treatment.
0: Well, I know you, Harry. You wouldn't you wouldn't say the stuff about cancer if you didn't believe that there was very likely something in it. Um, you, you talked about, uh, I've been taking it as well, and I think, um, and CBD as well, and I think as I used to take a lot of um, ibuprofen, I find that, I find it interesting that you call it neurofen, this is a very big brand over here in the UK. So not only is the, the, the medicine ibuprofen, is it is it terribly bad for you, we've now found out, but neurofen, they charged Twenty times the price of the generic medicine over here, and people are still buying it. So it's this hugely powerful brand that um, you know they had advertising campaigns when I was growing up. So it would be it would be what you took when you had a hangover. You know, it's this it's this massive brand, and they're not only selling you stuff that's terribly bad for you, but they're next to it on the shelf. You can buy exactly the same thing for a fraction of the price. So. Yeah. They, They've obviously got this amazing hold on people that they're making billions of pounds, giving something people really don't need.
1: I mean, you're right, Rich. It's it's um, it's certainly a powerful brand, isn't it? And I and I deliberately said Nurofen because I knew I knew that y- you'd know what I meant, and, and your listeners would know what I meant. Look, there's a place for there's a place in the world for Nurofen, but it certainly does not need to be guzzled in the quantities that people are, because there are natural anti inflammatories. that that yeah okay they don't kick in you know like like a nurofen kicks in but taken taken over time as part of a daily routine you do do away with you know 90 percent of the cases that you would take nurofen for
0: but that's the thing about all about all these these sort of healthy long-term measures is they're not things that you do to make that have an immediate effect you know you don't you don't go on a diet and you're thin the next day. You don't go and do some exercise and you're fit the next day. You know these are these are things you do every day to kind of get your health better. Whereas the the tablets we get, it's that it's the magic pill, isn't it? It's that make me feel better now.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's right. So it's a mindset shift that's needed. And I guess the other, you know, you, you mentioned you know the CBD oil, which is which is a you know really important product or or range of products that we sell through the truth naturals brand again it's you know these have been studied these compounds have been studied and research is increasing exponentially uh, as as it becomes you know able to be obtained in other parts of the world and what what we know is that cbd oil is very effective in pain relief it's we know that it helps people sleep. It stops people ruminating. Uh, it's a really effective treatment for some people with anxiety. And, and there are people that it's the only thing that works for their anxiety. Obviously, CBD oil came into, uh, into vogue or at least into people's awareness in, in its treatment for you know, refractory childhood epilepsy, where there were kids that were getting you know, seizures relentlessly Could not be controlled, and you know, lo and behold, CBD oil stops the seizures. I mean, it's remarkable. And so, again, these are not certainly with my own experience. These are not things that kick in, but you you start to notice if you don't take them. So, so I find the same with curcumin. If I've forgotten or run out or whatever. I don't take it for the while then I notice you know the benefit I'm not getting as opposed to the you know the instant pill effect where you notice it kick in.
0: Is is it true that it doesn't work in a turmeric latte?
1: Yeah so the good news is that those that like the taste of turmeric lattes will still get to enjoy the taste even after I give my answer but the reality is that Turmeric is diabolical in terms of its bioavailability, which is to say we we virtually excrete all of what we ingest of native turmeric. So the turmeric latte is not really an effective uh, delivery mechanism for curcumin. And in fact, most curcumin preparations uh, have very poor bioavailability. What what makes ours highly bioavailable is basically particle size and the way that we've prepared the um, formulation. That the particle size is so small and the surface area uh, to the particle size is so high that it is rapidly absorbed across the gut and therefore enters the bloodstream and can. Go and exert its effect in various parts of the body. Plus, you know, like other preparations, we also add you know black black pepper extract, which has the curious effect of increasing the absorption of the curcumin crop across the gut wall.
0: So, so if you have, if you like turmeric latte,s because you like the taste, good. But the but the the magic anti inflammatory effect you're not going to get. You're just going to get a yeah.
1: slight. Well, well, if they if they don't listen to this podcast, Rich, they will get they will still get thirty percent of the benefit. From the placebo effect.
0: Oh, exactly. But yeah. The, but is... the
1: real, effect, <laughs> but the real effect, but the real effect, unfortunately, requires curcumin that crosses the gut, and yeah, the don't... turmeric latte ain't it?
0: Yeah, don't go taking away the placebo effect from us. Don't go taking that. Yeah. From us. You know, starting, Yeah, yeah. Just, you need to timestamp.
1: You need to time stamp the um, time stamp your podcast and say, don't listen to this if you're a turmeric latte drinker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Are you? Have you? Um... You're, you're still training, but you are you 50 yet? Sorry to ask a personal question, because we did a podcast in 2018. You were 48. Are you 50 yet?
1: I am not fifty, Rich, and uh, I resent. I, I I desperately resent the question. Don't look uh,
0: at 35, <laughs> But like, I I was doing I was doing the maths. So as you must be, you must it must be. Um, yeah. How long? Three weeks,
1: it? man. How long? Three weeks, my man. Three, three
0: weeks. weeks. I yeah no. Yeah. My sister just turned fifty yesterday. I've got a couple of years to go. But have you found? Do you find being still a young man, but not quite as young as he was, is that affecting your training?
1: No, not at all. <laughs> no, I train. I train harder than ever. You know, I do a few. I I, I probably need to do a few more things to recover than than my younger, uh, you know, racing uh, compadres. You know, I put my legs in pneumatic compression boots every night, and you know, take my take my curcumin, make sure I get enough sleep. Uh, whereas you know when you're younger you can you can go a bit harder and concentrate a little bit less on recovery and still pull up well the next day but no i don't i, I don't feel I, I feel better i'm training better than I was ten years ago and um, no I'm, uh, I'm I'm going well thanks rich and um, yep as I said fifty in three weeks and
0: oh, good for you well
1: on to the second that. half
0: well good for you man well you, anyway, you saw how good. Tyson looked at fifty-four. Did you? Did you? Did you see? Mike Tyson? I, no, I haven't. Are you not a boxing fan? I haven't. I mean, whatever you think of boxing, whatever you think of Tyson, I mean, age fifty-four, he looked amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think being fifty is nothing these days.
1: Oh, I completely agree, Rich. I'm I'm only halfway there.
0: It used to be, when we were kids, fifty was an old man, wasn't it? Now, train hard, stay young.
1: Oh, fully. I mean, my cycling coach is 62. He's the, he's the reigning, you know, Australian Masters time trial and road race champion. I know what's possible with a you know slightly older body.
0: Well, Harry, it's great to talk mm. to you.
1: You too, man. Thank
0: you very much. Pleasure. If you want to know more about the supplements, so it's truthnaturals.co.uk, truthorigins.co.uk. Origins is the supplements and naturals is the CBD.
1: Good work, mate.
0: Okay, Dr. Harry, thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Fantastic.
0: Thanks again to Dr. Harry, Dr. and Professor Harry Bysinger. Those companies that he works for are truthnaturals.co.uk, that's CBD, and truthorigins.co.uk. Healthy Beasts is healthybeastpodcast.com and at healthybeastpodcast on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening.